This is Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in law firm associate success and development. I'm your host, Christian Lang, and I'm fresh off of a very fun, very tiring week down at National Harbor just outside of D.C. for ILTACON 2018. For those of you who aren't familiar, ILTA is the International Legal Technology Association, and every year they host a massive annual conference to bring their membership together for educational sessions, product demos, social events, you name it. It's a marquee event on the legal tech calendar every year. This was actually my first ILTACON experience, and I had a blast both catching up with my favorite legal techies as well as making a slew of new connections and learning more about the needs and ongoing technological efforts of a broad range of lawyers and technologists from across the country happening out in the market today. But rather than give you a rundown of my experience, I'm going to let the attendees speak for themselves. As we did for ALM's Legal Week and the Clock Institute earlier this year, we recorded a Voices podcast to give those of you who couldn't make it to this year's Ilticon a flavor for the experience and a window into the important conversations happening at this year's convention. At this point, some of you will know the drill. I arrived at Ilticon with my trusty mobile microphone and a list of eight questions. We presented those questions to 20 attendees over the course of the week and asked them to weigh in on two or three that appealed to them right there on the spot. Their thoughts and impressions created this Voices of Ilticon podcast. Here are the questions we were asking. Question one, what makes Ilticon interesting or unique as a legal tech conference? Question two, in your view, what legal tech development or motivating force or pressure is most likely to generate meaningful short-term innovation in the practice of law? Question three, rewind three years. What's a development on the legal tech landscape that you would have expected to have happened by Ilticon 2018, but it still hasn't? Question four, conversely, what's an innovation or development on the legal tech landscape that's happening more quickly than you expected? Question five, what information about legal technology and the legal technology market do you wish you had, but you find is actually quite difficult to obtain? Question six, what part of the legal tech landscape is most in need of significant innovation? Question seven, if, as part of the Ilticon package, you received a 1% equity stake in a legal tech company of your choice, what company would it be and why? Question eight, what's the most valuable part of the Ilticon experience? As always with our Voices podcasts, the answers were fascinating, not only because of their substance, but also their diversity or the concentration of the answers around certain topics. Hearing them side by side provides a fascinating insight into what people are thinking about and talking about out in the market today and in the halls of a conference like Ilticon 2018. So let's get to it with the answers to our first question, what makes Ilticon interesting or unique as a legal tech conference? Okay, hey, Michael Callier, Senior Corporate Counsel for Dairy Gold Inc. The thing that makes Ilticon unique or different, it's really the community. It's a learning community, it's a very supportive community, and folks are passionate and interested in technology, legal technology, specifically in innovation. Well, I'm Elvin Evans, I'm the Director of Information Technology for Hand Arendal Harrison Sale. And what I've learned and what I've gathered in my years of coming is that this is more of a family, and everyone is here for the same reason, the same goals, the same objectives. doesn't matter how small your firm is, how large your firm is. We're all here to do the best possible job we can from a technology standpoint for our firms. 
but we're not only learning professionally, we're learning personally, we're growing as individuals, we're growing as IT leaders, and we're also helping our firms become better law firms. The nature of the community was a running theme in question one, not just about the personal relationships, but also about the diversity of the resources that the community presents. Hi, I'm Ginevra Saylor, Secretary of the ILTA Board. I think the thing that makes ILTACON unique as a conference is in addition to getting excellent, probably the best, uh, educational programming and access to the newest technology in our industry uh, through the vendors and their exhibit hall and their demo rooms, um, you also get the opportunity to network with leading people in the profession, um, people in every role, uh, every level, every position, from new to senior, um, and it's just really one big family. My name is Will Norton. I am CEO and founder of Simply Agree. And uh, I think the best thing about ILTACON is it's sort of a one-stop shop where you can see everything that's going on in the legal tech world, whether that be some of the newest vendors and products that are coming out, as well as all of the different stakeholders and firms and even general counsel that um, you can really learn a lot about what's going on, what's the cutting edge, and also see kind of um, what people are thinking about. Given everything that's going on at such a content and connection-rich conference, we also received some great words of wisdom from a conference veteran on how best to enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, my name is Kevin O'Keefe. I'm the CEO and founder of, of Lexbog. I come to conferences not not so much for education, but for just hanging with people. You know, somebody says, "Well, how did the conference go?" or "What sessions you went to?" You know, I, I may have been to one or two, but usually it's because I'm in the room because I know the person, and out of respect for them, I wanted to go see what they did, maybe shake their hand afterwards, and then remember that you can't do everything. You know, you, see, you can only meet so many people in a short period of time and spend some quality time with them. So that's, you know, it. I don't beat myself up over trying to get things sold or whatever. It's just hang out. Finally, another member of the Ilticon leadership team zeroed in on something that very much resonated with the impression that I got walking around the halls at my first Ilticon. I'm David Hobby, Director of Knowledge Management at Goodwin, and I'm proud to be the co-chair of Ilticon this year, one of the co-chairs. And... Ilticon is unique and interesting because it's member-driven. It, it's, it's, I run a committee of 40 volunteers who are peers, who work at law departments, who work at, at law firms, who are legal technologists, all of them, and knowledge managers, inf people who manage information governance. And those are the people who are identifying what the best topics are, going out and getting the speakers, and they're providing the most relevant content across a huge range of legal technology issues because they're the people who are in the trenches dealing with this stuff every day. They know what matters to peers at law firms because they are peers at law firms and law departments. Question two asked, what legal tech development or motivating force or pressure is most likely to generate meaningful short-term innovation in the practice of law? And we got some really interesting answers to this question. Matt Holman, Filament, CEO. My view is that the uh, big four accounting firms are going to be making inroads into legal dramatically faster than we expect, uh, whether it's through their investment in AI uh, and selling the AI insight back to law firms because they've missed the boat, or whether it's them actually entering the legal marketplace, they're forced to be reckoned with and not enough law firms are paying attention to them. Ed's own Vice President Thomson Reuters. I think something that's had a really surprising impact 
on the way people are practicing and innovating is around legal research and artificial intelligence and legal research. There's several really interesting uh, players in the market. Thomson Reuters just recently released one called Westlaw Edge. And what we're seeing is, and I, I'm really surprised by this, uh, people are adopting that a lot faster than I thought. And there was a real hunger for that out in the market, for people to be doing research differently, to be interrogating and using natural language uh, instead of doing their sort of methodical Boolean connector, kind of a very precise way of doing things. And uh, I think that's an innovation that's actually hitting people really quickly in the short term. Hi, I'm Felicity Conrad, the CEO and co-founder of Paladin. I know this is a dirty word, but I would absolutely say that um, the motivating force or pressure that's most likely to generate meaningful short-term innovation in the legal space is the political arena. Um, in the pro bono world, we've seen huge amounts of activity and uptick just simply because of things like the immigration ban, DACA, the hurricanes, and most recently, family separations at the border. Two of our guests hit on one of the most important trends sweeping the legal tech landscape. Hi, I'm Jeff Pfeiffer, Vice President of Product Management for LexisNexis. And my sense is that the most emerging category is around legal analytics, because I think that there are ways we can leverage technology to drive answers to questions that lawyers have always had, but didn't have a way to mine massive amounts of data in order to drive insightful understanding from the data itself. I'm David Hobby, Director of Knowledge Management at Litigation and co-chair of the Ilticon 20. 18 conference. The legal tech development that's really going to cause innovation and really dramatically change the practice of law over the next few years is really legal analytics and the increasing ability and requirement by clients for us to leverage the data that we have and the data that's outside in the world in a more effective and comprehensive way. It's going to, it's going to ch change our ability to uh, predict what might happen in litigation, to, uh, to manage our deals and cases better, and to, uh, to provide a lot more value to our clients. And our final question to answer touched on an issue that's near and dear to my heart as somebody who thinks that the experience of using most legal technology, particularly alongside the elegant and engaging consumer tech that we all use in our personal lives, is really holding the industry back. My name is Nicole Braddock. I'm the CEO of Theory and Principle. And I think that one of the most crucial things we can be doing right now in legal technology is to focus more on design and focus more on the user. Um, because if we're building products that people actually want to use and can use easily, then we're actually going to be making progress in, in technology adoption uh, and increasing the efficiencies and getting all the goal, meeting all the goals that we want to meet. And I think that will help stimulate more innovation. Question three asked our interviewees to identify change of the legal tech landscape taking an unexpectedly long time. Specifically, we asked, rewind three years. What's the development on the legal tech landscape that you would have expected to have happened by Ilticon 2018, but it still hasn't? Hi, I'm Jean Marie Boswell. I'm with Paul Hastings. So searching, it's still so damn hard. Oops. <laughs> it's still so hard. It's still so hard to find things. We're still searching for a way to search, to have a Google experience uh, across lots of platforms in legal. I 100% share Jean Marie's passion and frustration about the search problem. 
My name is Nicole Braddock. I'm the CEO of Theory and Principle. And I think that three years ago, I would have expected that um, that machine learning would be something that we were talking about as you know, sort of an a everyday occurrence in all of the technologies, as opposed to still discussing it as something that's uh, up and coming and on the horizon. Like, surely the technology is still advancing, but uh, it feels like we uh, we should have already had a far more implementation of of these uh, cutting edge technologies than we have. I'm Owen Bird. I'm the Chief Evangelist and General Counsel of Lex Machina. Lex Machina is a Silicon Valley-based legal analytics provider. And the thing that I would have hoped had happened by now would be uh, further progress in marrying docket-based litigation analytics with spend-based litigation analytics. We now know through the docket-based analytics that Lex Machina provides all kinds of unique and valuable information about how judges and parties and lawyers behave. And many of the different spend analytics packages know lots about how much a matter should cost. Well, wouldn't it be cool if you could combine the two and say, look, we have a pretty high likelihood of obtaining summary judgment in this case, but it's gonna cost $40,000. Um, and if we take a different path through litigation, it may give us uh, a lower likelihood of succeeding, but at a fraction of the cost. I'd like to see spend analytics and docket analytics combined over time. And that's a great segue into our last two answers to question three, which both address two incredibly important big picture themes, the first of which picks up on the same thread that Owen was just teasing out. Ed Sohn, Vice President of Product at Thomson Reuters. Something that has not happened yet that I thought three years ago really that would happen by now is more transparency around uh, billing and um, creating that legal marketplace for services where there was an efficient market really with pricing that was transparent. Um, there was a lot of movement around that three years ago and there continues to be a lot of promise in that, but there's something about uh, that that closed system where there's not transparency still in terms of pricing, where a lot of these analytics are essentially being built on private data. And there hasn't been a watershed moment yet for that to really burst open. And so that efficiency in terms of uh, buying legal services is still not yet uh, achieved. And it's really kind of a surprise that that hasn't happened yet, that there, there hasn't been sort of this watershed moment. Um, it'll come and it'll be a big deal when it happens. Uh, but it's a bit of a surprise that it hasn't happened yet. Hi, I'm Jeff Pfeiffer, and I'm Vice President of Product Management for LexisNexis. I would say three years ago, we were talking about use case-driven development, which I th still think is, is lacking in the legal tech landscape. Uh, I see a lot of applications of technology that are in search of a problem, rather than starting with a real problem that exists in a law firm or an in-house legal department that's, that's really use case-driven. Which is why I love to see former practicing lawyer founders in the legal tech market working to solve the problems that they themselves encountered in their own practices. Question four asks the opposite question. What's an innovation or development on the legal tech landscape that's happening more quickly than you would have expected? Yeah, I'm uh, James Desjardins. I'm the Associate Director of Practice Technology at uh, Cravath in New York. Um, I would say the rise of innovation, explicitly innovation-centric roles in law firms in particular, um, you know, even just looking at a conference like Iltacon last year, you know, 
titles like mine or roles like mine that, that sort of transcended the traditional org chart divisions between KM and IT and, and even the legal side um, and looked at innovation more holistically were, were pretty rare. And, you know, this year you've got a whole learning path um, focused on, on these innovation roles and it's populated with, with a growing number of people who, who have these mandates and these titles that, that are, are new and emerging. So I think that's uh, certainly exciting to see and is happening at a, a speed I probably wouldn't have anticipated even 12 months ago. So my name's Carolyn Grow, and I am uh, a co-owner and I head up uh, marketing and sales for Law Toolbox. And I'd have to say that much more rapidly than I ever expected, the adoption of Microsoft Teams was just a really big deal at ILTACON this year. In the sessions that I attended when the question was asked to the audience of 500 people or more, uh, who's using Teams, a huge portion of the arms went up in the air. I'm uh, Jason Dirks. I'm CAM counsel at Littler Mendelssohn. And um, I think one of the technologies that's evolved a lot quicker than I expected was or is uh, language analytics and contract analytics. Um, I first started working in it uh, when I graduated law school uh, about seven years ago, and it has uh, just grown leaps and bounds in capabilities. Um, and I think it's one of uh, the most um, disruptive AI technologies that is uh, coming down the pike, and it just keeps accelerating. Question five asked interviewees, what information about legal technology and the legal technology market do you wish you had, but you find is actually quite difficult to obtain? Monet Fontleroy, Senior Manager of Practice Innovation at White & Case. The hardest information to obtain is real-world um, lessons learned and uh, proscriptions and prescriptions for deploying in lots of regions. So for a really big firm, how to take um, something from a small startup but make it work across the entire globe. Will Norton, I'm founder and CEO of Simply Agree. I would say one of the most difficult things to find out and one of the things that particularly vendors or software providers really want to know is how do I get my foot in the door in law firms? Who are the people I should be talking to who can make decisions and who are really thinking about what's coming up next with regards to legal technology? And I think part of the reason is within the market, there are so many different types of decision makers with different types of roles. Um, sometimes it's with the legal project management department. Sometimes it's knowledge management. Sometimes it's within the IT group. It's something that uh, I think every software provider is trying to understand how do these firms uh, work, how are they set up, and how do we find the right people to make the decision. Beyond granular or business-related information, one of our interviewees focused on an aspect of the ecosystem itself. So my name is Carolyn Grow, and I am an owner and head up our marketing for Law Toolbox. And uh, this is kind of a twist to the question, but... For an organization like ILTA that truly is filled with a ton of really powerful, smart, uh, tech-savvy women, I felt like I would love to see a more visible group of women getting together and really um, taking this moment in our technology and innovation to really uh, work together and get to know each other and network and... Um, go do some big things together. So that, that's one takeaway that I have. Our final answer to question five addressed a big issue in legal technology, one that's particularly relevant for media projects like ours. Legal tech is all about social proof. Who's using what, 
What are peer firms or corporates doing, etc.? But are we all too easily distracted by cosmetic announcements, and do we fail to dig into adoption and internal usage volume to figure out who is actually using what and to what extent? So I'm Jason Dirks, uh, KM Counsel at Littler Mendelssohn, and uh, I think I would really like to know uh, more specifically what firms are actually using uh, some of the more innovative technologies, not just not just signing contracts, but actually using them and and seeing successes with them in their uh, in their legal practice. Question six is a question that we've asked in these Voices podcasts before, but it's a great one, and the answers are always incredibly interesting. Question six, what part of the legal landscape is most in need of significant innovation? Will Norton, founder and CEO of Simply Agree. The area that I think is most in need of innovation is the collaboration and communication between law firms and their clients. Uh, We see a lot of software and technology that's built specifically for law firms or specifically for clients. One of the big questions in my mind is how do we break down those silos and bridge the gap between those two parties? Because they really should be collaborating and working together and we need software and technology that's going to help them do that more effectively. I'm Owen Bird. I'm the Chief Evangelist and General Counsel of Lex Machina, a Silicon Valley-based legal tech company that provides litigation-based legal analytics. And the piece of the landscape that I think is most in need of innovation is uh, major transactions. And the reason I say this is because we recently went through one when we were acquired by Lexus. And I come from legal tech. And I was stunned by how low tech that M&A experience was. I tried in a couple of different places to get uh, Lex Machina's lawyers and get Lexus's lawyers to do really simple stuff, like let's use a Google Doc to track all the signatories. Oh no, we don't do it that way. You know, then, and, then, and then there's you know, lots of PDFs flying around and version control and who's, it was a terribly inefficient experience. And so uh, taking off my hat as a legal vendor and putting on my hat as a GC, I can say from experience that legal transactions, especially in M&A, are in desperate need of the application of some technology. As a former M&A lawyer, I absolutely agree. Courtney Murphy, e-discovery attorney with Clark Hill. So the area that I think is in most need of innovation is actually the attitudes and mindset of a lot of the attorneys uh, that are working in the industry. Unfortunately, I don't know that legal tech can solve it unless somebody gets a mind control ray, but the idea of good behavioral management and good teaching techniques are going to help in the future. It's a critical and seemingly intractable problem, but our next answer highlights at least one area where we're making steady progress, which will hopefully help to reshape lawyers' relationship with and attitudes towards technology. Yes, uh, so this is Anu Nupadier, VP of Business Development at Case Text. I think anything involving taking large data sets and culling them down to more easy to manage data sets that apply directly to what the client wants. Obviously, Case Text is handling that in the legal research piece, but there's a lot of excellent work being done in knowledge management as well to take uh, documents from the DMS uh, systems, whether it's NetDocs or others, and 
provide an attorney the briefs and memos and emails and letters that are most related to the work that they may be doing for a new client so that they could do that work more efficiently and better. I'm Jean Marie Boswell. I'm with Paul Hastings. Um, I think voice, uh, voice dictation, uh, voice recognition, I think that would make a big difference in lawyers' ability. There be a truly mobile uh, advancement. It just hasn't happened yet. I, mean, I think there'll be a day when we're all talking to Alexa at our desks, but uh, it seems to be slowly getting to that point. Our last two answers to question six focus on high-level structural issues, which are key to the facilitation of innovation in law, although, as they indicate, identifying the issue is a bit easier than identifying the fix. Uh, Matt Holman, CEO of Filament, it's a compensation plan. Everyone talks about law firm business models in the billable hour, uh, but those are changing much more readily than the underlying compensation scheme for which the lawyers get compensated. We have too many law firms who are tying productivity as the billable hour, even on flat fee matters. Uh, it provides perverse incentives and it doesn't deliver innovation to clients uh, because the people who are in charge of the firms are the best at the old model, even though a new model is necessary. My name is Tessa Ramanlal. I am a solicitor at Herbert Smith Freehills in Melbourne and a co-founder of Amica. So I think we have a real problem with our assessment model of law, lawyers at law firms um, because we have a system whereby there's a real tension between lawyers feeling the need to hit their billable targets and then having the opportunity to innovate. So if you want good ideas to get legs and lawyers have amazing ideas because it comes from their frustrations in the day-to-day -day inefficiencies. If you want those ideas to get legs, you need to incentivize lawyers. How we do that, I don't know, and that's something we need to work on. But at the moment, um, when they're not rewarded, they're not going to do it unless they're deeply, intrinsically motivated, and that's hard to come by sometimes. Question seven was probably my favorite of the bunch, but unfortunately, we couldn't get a huge number of interviewees to rise to the bait. We did, however, get a few interesting answers. Question 7 asked, if, as part of the Ulticon package, you received a 1% equity stake in a legal tech company of your choice, which company would it be and why? I'm Owen Bird. I'm the general counsel and chief evangelist of Lex Machina, which is a Silicon Valley-based legal tech company that provides legal analytics in the litigation space. And one of the things we do with our colleagues at LexisNexis, which owns Lex Machina, is uh, run the Legal Tech Accelerator program. And we've had uh, 12 different companies in two different groups go through the program. We're now going to be running a third version of it this fall. And it's been so exciting because I get exposed to so many great young legal tech startups that are just starting out in solving hard problems. Uh, they range from uh, a great company called Ping, which is revolutionizing how um, time gets tracked. There's a company called Separate.us that is trying to make it easier for consumers going through uh, divorce to navigate the family law system. One I really like is DealWhip, which is a legal tech accelerator graduate, which is focused on uh, transactions and is starting out by trying to apply technology to uh, the due diligence phase, which is something I've experienced since Lex Machina was acquired. And I can report from the front lines that is a technology that is 
desperately needed in the M&A space. So I'd take my 1% in Deal Whip, although having said that, I would take it in lots of the other graduates of our Legal Tech Accelerator program as well. Courtney Murphy, e-discovery attorney with Clark Hill. Well, to be perfectly mercenary about it, I'd probably go with Relativity. <laughs> they are the gorilla in the room. I use their product, I like their product, and I would very much like to be on the financial side of that. <laughs> Next time I'm in the market for commercial advice, remind me to reach out to Courtney. One of our interviewees focused on the gaps, not the players, in the current market. Monet Fauntleroy, Senior Manager of Practice Innovation at White & Case. Um, the company would be an imaginary one. I don't think it exists yet, <laughs> but um, one that's an advisory to legal tech startups, specifically around um, product management and customer success. I think we need something like that, and if something like that existed, I'd give them my heart, soul, and dollars. But you don't need to focus on gaps to find huge growth opportunities. I'm Jeff Pfeiffer, Vice President of Product Management for LexisNexis, and one of the interesting things we get to see is the diversity of, of legal tech startup activity. We sponsor a program called the Lexus Legal Tech Accelerator, where we work with a lot of very early stage companies to explore their, their growth trajectories. And what I would say is that more than any point in my time in the, in the legal tech market, there is a diversity of activity right now, again, following really unique use case driven development. And so I think the, uh, the horizon is really bright for legal tech market, uh, legal tech development. Finally, to bring it all home, Question 8 asked interviewees to identify the most valuable part of the Ulticon experience. Some clear themes emerged, but we loved hearing the personal spin or individual angle that each interviewee brought to the discussion. My name is Melvin Evans. I'm the Director of Information Technology for Hand Arendal Harrison Sale. And for me, the most valuable thing I get from Ilticon, and I get many things from it every year, but it's the relationships that I build with the other, my peers and my colleagues that are here from firms all over the world. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what type of law they practice. We create and we develop bonds. We create friendships that last a lifetime and we stay in touch throughout the year. It's not just once a year when we gather for the conference, but it's all the time. And those relationships are more valuable from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint than anything I've learned in any of the sessions. And the sessions are excellent as well because a lot of my peers are helping lead those sessions, but those bonds that we create as individuals, as groups, that's what makes it so valuable. Yes, this is Anand Upadhyay, VP of Business Development at Case Tax. It's the people. I think everyone is going to say that, but it's the meetings that uh, all of us have been taking. There are the right people who understand legal technology and who are very sophisticated in legal technology. Each of the panels you go to, each of the presentations are a higher level. Uh, at this conference, you don't need to start from scratch because people really know what they want, what their firms need, and exactly how to get it, how to buy it, how to license it. So it, you know, really having those very high-level meetings across this conference has been very valuable, and it's what I expect at ILTACON every year. I'm David Hobby, Director of Knowledge Management for Litigation at Goodwin and proud to be co-chair of the <laughs> ILTACON conference this year. The most valuable part of the Ilticon experience is the opportunity to meet and connect with other peers and other fellow legal technologists at other law firms and, and, uh, and law departments. These are people who uh, are all experts in legal technology and they may have encountered the same problem that you're encountering this month or this year 
and they may have even probably solved it. So it's the really, really the best thing, uh, the most valuable thing you can do is connect with your peers, learn from them, and, uh, and share what you have. Uh, Michael Callier, Senior Corporate Counsel, Dairy Gold Inc. The most valuable part of the Iltacon experience is the people. Um, we're at a very interesting place right now in the legal industry. Uh, change is afoot, and the most important element, I believe, in uh, sort of embracing that change, taking advantage of that change to the benefit of the industry at large, is capturing the hearts and minds of, of people. Uh, the people who will be the doers on the front line, the people who will inspire others to do, and I think that's, uh, that's really what Iltacon is about. Clearly, the relationship-building opportunities are at the heart of the Ulticon experience. And I really enjoyed listening for the different attributes or aspects of the conference that different interviewees called out as helping to make those opportunities possible and meaningful. For example, a number of our interviewees mentioned the way that the layout of the venue and the programming forced you to bump into new and old friends, or the international character of the membership in attendance. Hi, I'm Felicity Conrad, the CEO and co-founder of Paladin. For me, the most valuable experience uh, about ILTA is the fact that we're all locked together in a huge conference hall for three days. And folks who may sometimes be more comfortable on email or in their own offices get together, co-mingle, talk about all sorts of ideas and um, form bombs that I think will build the community longer term. This is Kevin O'Keefe. I'm the CEO and founder of Lexbug. Um, the people that come here, so I mean, if I want to meet somebody from Australia, am I going to get an airplane and, and go? Of course not. But I could be staying outside the exhibit hall, <clears throat> somebody from Sydney come up that recognizes me and we strike up a conversation. <clears throat> Next thing he knows is that I want to be going to London to an event and he's going to introduce me to the people over there. I mean, how could I get that? One, I wouldn't even remember to call him um, or for anything or even knew that he knew the person over there. <clears throat> so it's the constant... Uh, People come here to one place, so it's very easy to walk up and start talking with people. Um, you know, you may shake their hand right after they gave a presentation, and then you're having striking up a conversation with, how's their family? Uh, what are they doing? Do they like what they're doing? Um, what don't they like what they're doing? It's just like, you know, friends, colleagues, um, that type of thing. And so bringing them together is important, and ILTA continues to bring a lot of people from around the world. So people can be critical of certain things, but there's more, much more positive than any negative. Hi, this is Jennifer Saylor, Secretary of the ILTA Board. Probably the most valuable part of the ILTACon experience, and that's a hard question to answer because so much about it is great, but is it really is the ad hoc one-on-one -on -one conversations where you walk into someone, you introduce yourself, next thing you know you're, you're sharing lessons learned, best practices, what went well, what didn't, and you get the unique opportunity to hear one-on-one -on -one case studies. Hello, I am Tess, a solicitor from Herbert Smith Freehills in Melbourne and a co-founder of Annika. I think the most valuable part of ILTA so far has been the innovation collaboration session where we had a whole bunch of people from different parts of the world with different skill sets, different experiences um, and different insights getting in the room and collaborating and talking about what works for them at home, what's been some pain points, what have been um, their failures, what are their biggest, biggest successes and how can we share those with each other to learn and as an industry move forward together. I think it's, it's rare to get those opportunities and it was really helpful.
A number of interviewees focused on how the conference helps legal tech professionals break out of their individual silos and spend valuable time interacting with others that might have a different day-to-day -day focus or set of responsibilities. Yeah, I'm uh, James Desjardins, I'm the Associate Director of Practice Technology at Cravath in New York. Um, you know, the thing I like about Ilticon in particular is, is the breadth that it provides. You know, I mean, I think an important piece of, of innovating in the law firm context is overcoming the kind of traditional org chart divisions, um, you know, between KM and IT and, and uh, all these different subsets and really thinking more holistically and getting people to talk to each other, uh, appreciating their problems, understanding, you know, the data that they have that might be useful to you, how everyone can work together to solve common problems. And, and ILTA, I think, is a quite unique opportunity to get all those people together and immerse yourselves in, in other people's day-to-day -day and, and the problems they're grappling with and try and make some of those connections. Courtney Murphy, e-discovery attorney with Clark Hill. The best part is the people. I'm really enjoying all of the people that I'm meeting, the different roles that I'm seeing people play, and it's a nice expansion on the, the types of roles that I see people doing, which I don't necessarily get in my day-to-day, -day, but seeing everything that's available in the legal tech space is very inspiring. Finally, it's always great to get some face time with those we know and care about, but might usually only connect with remotely. Monet Fauntleroy, White and Case, Senior Manager of Practice Innovation. The most valuable part of ILTACON is um, getting to reconnect with members of your network that you perhaps only communicate with via Twitter or email, but getting a chance to sit down with them and talk face to face about what they've been doing in the past year. My name is Nicole Braddock. I'm the CEO of Theory and Principle, and hands down, the most valuable part of the ILTACON experience is, is hanging with my legal tech posse. Uh, staying up until 4 a.m. with karaoke and doing ridiculous uh, uh, technology challenges. Um, that's all like the biggest part of, of what makes this important and valuable is reconnecting with, with uh, people who are also doing really interesting and exciting things in this space. Well, there you have it, the voices of ILTACON 2018. I hope you found them as interesting and valuable as I did. We'd love to hear your reactions. Tell us what you think on LinkedIn or Facebook under the name Blacklines and Billables, or tweet at us. Our handle is at BNB Legal, at BNB Legal. Or if you're the more private type, you can drop us an email at podcast at blacklinesandbillables.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends and leave us a writing on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. It'll help others find us. We'll be back again soon with our next episode. Thanks for listening.